This morning's reading is from Titus chapter 2, and it's on page 966 of the Church Bibles. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and holy lives in this present age, while we await for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please do uh, keep uh, your Bibles uh, open. You'll need them to, to follow along uh, this morning. Let me uh, pray as we, as we kick off, uh, as I kick off this morning. Uh, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Please humble us by your word that we may live self-controlled, upright and godly lives as we await Christ's return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Saturday the 7th of February in 2009, a series of bushfires ignited across Victoria. Uh, Black Saturday. It was Australia's most worst, most awful bushfire disaster ever. It was awful. Many people died Uh, Many, many homes were destroyed. Uh, Marysville, a town not far from here, 90 kilometres in fact, was mostly destroyed, including the school, the police station and many homes. And when it came to rebuilding uh, Marysville, concerns were raised about how best they should do it. Factors needed to be considered in light of the bushfires that had been and, and fires that could happen in the future. And so in light of of past fires and possible fires in the future, that is the way they decided to rebuild uh, Marysville. And for Christians today, we are to live godly lives, grounded in what we know of the past and what we know is certain of the future. We are to hold both together as we live in the now godly lives. Uh, Titus uh, chapter 2, which Christina read for us uh, uh, just then, is a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Titus. 
Uh, Titus was left on a small island called Crete uh, to put things in order that, that had been left undone there and to appoint elders uh, for the church there. Uh, and Paul gives really practical uh, advice about organising a church and, and leading this new church on Crete. But most importantly, the thing that he wants most of all is that God's people will live godly lives that are consistent with the gospel of grace and that their godliness is seen publicly. But you see, there are issues on Crete. There are these false teachers who, whose morality is, is quite low, but they seem so superior and so religious. You see, they say they know God, but their actions show the opposite. If you just go back a bit and read verse 16 of chapter 1, it says this, have a look there. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. You see, their actions do not match their words. And so Paul reminds Titus, he reminds them that our actions, our actions must match what we know. Our deeds and our doctrine must match. What we believe must be seen in our behaviour. Which brings us to, to, to chapter 2. Have a look there. You, however, that is... Don't be like those guys. You must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Uh, Titus is to teach sound doctrine. Uh, and, if, and you might be wondering what, what is sound doctrine. Well, if you flick back a page at Titus chapter 1, verse 9, we see that elders are appointed who? What do they do? They, they hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, sound doctrine is the, is the trustworthy message, that is the gospel of grace, that's been passed down from generation, approved by Christ and the apostles. You see, we are, this gospel is, is to guide us and we are to guard it. You see, see, the gospel of grace is that sinners like us are saved, not by our own effort, but by a free gift, saved by faith in Christ. And Titus and the church, we are responsible to teach sound doctrine. But do notice there in that first verse there, that Titus isn't just to teach sound doctrine. Did you see that? He is to teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. That is, he's to teach what it looks like. He's to teach what it looks like and to leave an example of it by the way that he lives, of what a godly life looks like that matches his doctrine, that life and, matri- uh, life and doctrine are seen together. You see, it's not just about knowing the gospel. It's not just about having the right answers. You see, I, I run this great course, I, I love it, it's Christian Explored. If you haven't done it, um, let me encourage you to do it. It's, it's wonderful. It's a great refresher of the, the basics of the Christian faith uh, and, and introduces people to Jesus. And um, I, I see people who do this course with me and they get it. They, they understand the gospel. But you see, what, what is different from them as they walk away is actually what they do with it. You see, as I've come to believe the gospel and understand, it p- impacts the way that I live. You see, we are to demonstrate our faith with our actions, showing that we've been impacted by the gospel of grace. You see, our knowledge and our actions are to match our life and our doctrine. 
And you see, our godliness is to be public, that others can see it. Paul urges us to live godly lives, and, and he'll go on to kind of explain what that means as far as uh, uh, for different genders and different ages, but, but he wants it to be public. Why public? Because he is concerned with our reputation with unbelievers. You see, this is an evangelistic appeal. How we live matters because the world is watching. As the world watches how we live, they need to see that there is consistency in our lives, that what we teach matches with how we live. And so we see that throughout this passage. Have a look there at verse 5. We are to live godly lives. Why? Verse 5. So that no one will malign the word of God. That is, that no one will revile it, that no one will discredit the gospel. In verse 8, have a look there, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In verse 10, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Our lives are to be consistent with sound doctrine, the doctrine of grace. And it's attractive. It is attractive to the world around us. You see, the way that we live will either make the gospel look beautiful and attractive or it will discredit it. And so our godliness needs to be evident and seen publicly. People will see if our words and our actions are consistent with the message we speak. Let me give you an example of Jeff. Jeff, is, uh, he's one of the lads at work. Uh, he comes out drinking with you on Friday night. He's, he's, he's a great drinker. He can really handle his drink. At work, he's willing to lie, and he does, and so we win all these contracts. We get our bonus. It's great. But, you know, he's a bit religious, so he doesn't eat pork or shellfish and that kind of stuff. But Jeff, he's a good, good guy. I love him. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about Jeff? He lives like everyone else around him. He might, he might be a bit religious, but, but his life doesn't match sound doctrine. His deeds and his doctrine, you see, they do not match. He does not live a, a public, godly life. Another example of Jeff could be this. Jeff comes out drinking with us on Friday night. He doesn't get drunk. He, he, he just comes to look after us. He's kind of weird. He's at the thing. Oh, no, it's working. Uh, at work, he doesn't lie. And so we lost the deal and we didn't get our bonus. And so we were so angry at him. We were in his face and really giving it to him and stuff. Oh, I was so angry. But, you know, as I reflect back and think about that, that experience, we are probably bullying him. That was pretty bad. But do you know what? Jeff never said anything. He never said anything. And he's got these offensive awful, repulsive views on sexuality. And he's happy to talk to you about it. Oh, man, it makes me feel sick when he does. But do you know, do you know that when a gay colleague was sick recently, he was the only one who showed genuine concern. He visited her in hospital. He made her meals for her and her partner. He went all out to care for her. And you know what Jeff's been telling me about about his God. And while I find it really repulsive, I'm interested in finding out more. And so, and so we've been reading the Bible together. He's kind and he's patient despite my interrogating questions. He kindly listens and answers. 
He really stands by what his God says. You see, his life matches the message he speaks. Which life of Jeff do you live? Around our unbelieving colleagues, on our street and in our families. Do we act the same as them? Or are we radically different, standing for Jesus regardless of the cost or suffering? We are to be godly publicly. And while our actions are are really important, when it comes to evangelism, proclaiming the gospel, we need to speak. The uh, the gospel is is a message and it's spoken. Uh, And without speaking, people, people won't hear. People might see that we're kind and honest and lovely and nice, but, but unless we speak, they won't know why we're kind, honest and lovely. I heard this story a long time ago now about, about a person who was investigating Christianity. He was reading the Bible with a friend, but he just had one barrier. There was one barrier he had, and it was this one guy at work He was so kind and nice and honest. He he broke the rule. He was the one exception to the rule. He wasn't a Christian, yet he was so kind and honest and nice. After such a long period, this guy finally became a Christian. Praise God, hey? And, and, And he shared the good news of salvation with his colleague at work. And the colleague, do you know what he said? Oh, great, I'm a Christian too. How devastating. For years, this guy at work had been his one barrier to putting his trust in Jesus. If only his actions and words matched. How we live matters. <clears throat> Our godliness is, is, is to be publicly displayed. People are watching and need to see that our message matches our actions. Does the way we live match our action? Because when it does, how beautiful and attractive the gospel looks. We're to live public, godly lives. And, and Paul goes on to, to list uh, what that way looks like according to age and our gender. Uh, and and I, I don't have time to, to go through the details, but, I, but there's, uh, we'll look at some. But I think there's a couple of themes there that you might notice. So one is, is to be serious. And the second is to be self-controlled. So first, seriousness, which we see in verse 2, to, to be temperate, that is, to be, to be sober-minded, to, to be worthy of respect. Verse 3, be reverent, honouring God in our behaviour. Verse 7, in, integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Godly living means we're serious about the way that we live our lives in godliness. We're serious and we're self-controlled. Do you see that repeated in verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 6? And if you're a younger man, you might be thinking, sweet, we get off scot-free, we only have one thing to do on this list, one thing, self-control. But before you think that, uh, let me help you see that to live a self-controlled, holy life, it is demanded that is in all areas of our life. That includes our, our temper, our, our tongue, our speech, our, our ambitions, our greed, and especially our sexual urges, our pornography, 
Young men, we are to remain committed to not having sex before marriage and being faithful to our wives if we are. You see, being self-controlled is, is no easy task. We are to be serious and self-controlled. Now, I'll go through uh, some, some, some of these, some of these uh, ages and, and groups, but, but, just, but just briefly. Uh, now, for the, for the older men, there too, verse 2, have a look there, they're to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Older men are to have dignity and maturity. That's appropriate to their age and expresses their inner self-control. They're to show maturity in their faith that is in their trust uh, in God through all times, in their love, in their service of others and in their endurance as they wait patiently for the return of our risen Lord Jesus. You hear stories of, of older people who've lost their zeal in the faith and it's so sad. They'll speak to say some younger Christian and say, oh, I used to be like that. I've, I've, I've grown out of that stage. How devastating. The maturity of, of faith that comes with age just, just isn't there. Older men live godly lives that demonstrates dignity and maturity in the faith. Older women, older women aren't to be slanderous or addicted to wine. These display a, lot, a lack of control a lack of control of their tongue in gossiping and, and a lack of control in, the, in their appetite and purpose in drunkenness. A, a lack of control really damages the credibility of, of the gospel. And so instead of the negative, what's the positive? Well, older women are to teach. They are to teach younger women. And so younger women, they are to be trained by, by the older women to love their husbands and love their children. You see, love is the basis of, of marriage. Not, not so much the love of emotion or romance or erotic pleasure, uh, but the love of sacrifice and service. Being busy at home doesn't mean that women are to stay home and cook and clean. It is not saying that. It is not saying that women can't go out into the workforce and be professionals. It's not saying those things. Um, uh, about being busy at home. That's not saying that. I think, I think if you flick back a few pages to 1 Timothy 5, 13, I think this is really, really helpful for us uh, in helping us understand uh, because it's there that we see that women were in the habit of being idle, going from, from house to house, not only to do... Uh, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. You see, they've become busybodies, getting caught up in other people's lives and, and problems rather than dealing with their own. And so women, instead of that, are to be busy in their, home, in their homes instead, accepting their role in the marriage to, to love their husbands and to love their children, uh, not neglecting or undermining or criticising their families, and allowing their husbands to lead. And finally, slaves, verse 9, have a look there, are to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. As workers, we're not to steal stuff from work. We're not to bill hours we haven't worked. We're not to... Uh, we're to do what we've been paid for, not to cheat the system, not to abuse the system. 
We're to respect and honour our bosses, not talking back or gossiping behind them. We need to show that they can fully trust us. Now I've only touched on, only lightly touched on the implications of these verses, but, but it's clear, isn't it, that the onus here is that we will live godly lives and that is matched by sound doctrine, that, that our lives will be consistent with the message we speak. We're to be publicly godly. How we live is to match our teaching the gospel, and that is the gospel of grace. Uh, have a look there from verse, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. You see, the grace of God has appeared, that is, our Lord Jesus, uh, in his lowly uh, birth in a stable, his compassionate and gracious words and deeds in his earthly ministry, and most of all, his atoning death on the cross, uh, which brings us salvation. He has appeared. Why? Verse 14, have a look there. To give himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness. That is, to purchase us out of that, to purchase out of slavery, and to purify himself for a people that are very, for his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, God's grace, God's undeserved gift in Jesus He has appeared and when we trust him, we are saved and we are in right relationship with God. And this grace, verse 12, have a look, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You see, grace, the good news of Jesus, is to shape our lives Our life and our doctrine need to match. And it teaches us to say no for living for the world and its passions and its desires, but to live godly lives as as we've seen. And you see, this grace actually helps us to, to live this life. He helps. And we live these lives holding on to what has happened in Christ's appearing, and knowing that he will return, he will come back again in glory. Have a look again from verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How we live our lives matters. It's to be consistent with sound doctrine, Our life and doctrine must match. And it is grounded. It is grounded in what's happened in the past and what happens in the future. We are to hold on to what's happened in the past in all that Christ has achieved for us. But we are to remember the future. Our hope, our inheritance is being kept there for us. We are to hold on to the past and the future as we live godly lives in the now. God has redeemed and purified a people for himself and he will bring us into glory when Christ returns. Let this teaching drive the way that we live today so that it can be seen by all, so that in every way they may make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for our risen Lord Jesus. We are so thankful for the way he has come and brought us from 
deserving of, of judgment and condemnation and brought us into right relationship with you. He has saved us and he has given us a great hope and inheritance that we can long to live, that we long to live for. Help us, Father, live lives that are consistent with that. That we may say no to ungodliness and the ways of the world and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Help us look forward to the return of Christ uh, when he will return in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.